Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. My name is Alon. And my name is Sickness Warrior Ara. Sickness Warrior Ara, you are a sick man today and for the last few days, is that right? Yeah, but I'm a fighter, so I'm going to pull through. Yeah. Now, uh, we have methods to mute mute your coughing voice. I've heard of these things. But, you know, should they not prove effective, you, our listener, will... Uh, We'll get an earful of an Ara cough, and so we will apologize for that in advance. But we figured better to record than not to record, even if we're going to cough a bit, he will cough a little bit in the mic. I'm going to accept the challenge of keeping it together for yeah. the show, and you hope know, that you talk a lot more than I do. Just a warning, by the way, that uh, my pregnant wife will completely destroy your life. If I somehow turn out sick because of someone else making me sick. I'm willing also to take that risk. And I really is, believe that she has the capacity to completely destroy my life. Yeah, she um, she would be very unhappy. Because, like, pregnant chicks, they can't take medicine. So I also understand that they can um, gain unnatural super strength at critical moments. Yeah. An experiment of which I would uh, prefer to avoid this time. <laughs> So hopefully I stay safe. Um, I think you're past that, though. I think you're you're not so contagious anymore. So, <clears throat> however, perhaps I should make some some interesting segue about how you can be contagious with your knowledge. Now, Ooh, that's good. I like <laughs> that. I thought I thought that would actually just be laughably how bad. About this, how about my knowledge <laughs> is not the only contagious thing right now? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right, so so let's okay, ask ourselves so, what's been happening this week. And so enough about blowing up my own ego. Right? Yeah. Um, we promised that you would not or did not have Gran Turismo 6 last week, but you do have it now. Um, oh, boy. There's there's so many things to talk about, and I know um, how it usually goes. So I've actually been spending all day considering what to bring up here and what not to bring up because – there's about 18 million problems with the game. That doesn't surprise me too much. In well, it doesn't surprise reality Elon very much. But fantasy Elon sure wishes that people would free their games of crazy noticeable bugs um, prior to release. Yeah, and I really got to say this this one it's it's like it's so much more noticeable this time than it was last time. And I don't now, are know. Are you comparing it's... it to current? Gran Turismo 5, or do you actually remember the condition of Gran Turismo 5 upon launch and comparing the the original GT5 yeah. to the original GT6? I, I remember. So the really interesting thing is that they've made so many updates and improvements to GT5 over the time it's been out that that game as it stands is very different from the way it came out, but it's hard to say very, they just made a lot of improvements. Let's just say that. But this one, it's really, it is most painfully obvious to me as it's more so than it's ever been that they, they must've pushed this out so quickly compared to, I mean, you just found a bug while we were re- playing the game. I was yeah, showing in, you the game. In the very first game that on I played. your own. Without any, I mean, I didn't know about the bug either. You just. We also haven't tested the bug to recreate it, but yeah. We don't need to recreate it, okay? It's going to be 100% reproducible, I'll tell you right now. You think so? Oh, I'm I'm confident it will be. Yeah. You decided to go into the pit lane because you're like, I wonder what, because you like testing things. I wonder what happens if I go here. And I said, yeah, you can go there. And it was the last lap of an arcade mode race. And so when you went into the pit lane, as you crossed the start finish line, the game. Somebody forgot to tell the game that you were actually passing the start-finish line, so it did nothing. And so you actually just went around and you did a whole entire lap until it decided the game was over. Yeah, it actually, it essentially I rode around the entire, I did two full laps, and it measured it as one long lap. Even though the the timer for that second lap stopped when I went into the pit lane. Yeah, you generated a situation that's impossible because you didn't have a lap timer anymore. You just had the overall timer. Yeah, it stopped the lap timer, but then when it was all over, the overall time was my overall time, which was actually three laps around instead of two. Yeah, it was pretty good. Now, they've updated the game like twice since it's come out. Seriously? It's only been out for like a week. Yeah, 
and, and they're going to need to update it again, I guess, because of this massive uh, money exploit you've been telling me about. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I obviously, I don't have the game. I haven't been playing this, but apparently there's an exploit where a car you can get in the patched version of the game doesn't exist in the earlier version of the game. So if you get the the new car and then remove your game data so that you're back on the original version of the game and then sell it, you get crazy money because basically the unpatched version of the game doesn't know how to handle that car data. And I was like, all right, you can sell this unknown car for crazy amounts, like the capped amount of 20 million credits. And uh, then you can repatch the game and buy that car for less than you got for selling it, plus a bunch of other stuff, and then remove the patch and sell it again. And Now, there's one element that you may not be aware of that makes this issue a whole lot more interesting. Okay, so explain that to me. With this release, this is the first time they're allowing you to buy in-game currency with real money. Oh, yeah, there's microtransactions. So yeah, you can well, get... I mean, there were microtransactions before, but they took the form of DLC. This is the first time that you can actually directly buy currency, right? So if you want $20 million, it's okay, I got to put in like 20 bucks or something like that. Okay, so you could... Because right now, you haven't paid any real money, aside from buying the game. You haven't paid money for in-game credits, and you said you've been playing it a lot, and you have about 600,000 credits, right? Yeah, let's say somewhere in that neighborhood. Now, you would need a million credits to buy this this exploit car. Right. How much would a million credits cost if you were buying it through a microtransaction? If we were knowledgeable, we would know this answer. Okay. So you don't have any idea? I think, I seem to remember that the highest one, the highest amount you could purchase was somewhere around like 40, 40 50 bucks. But I'm sure you can look but it up. That's in while. human money. In human money, right? And we know that the game, the in-game cap is twenty million as it is. So I'm guessing it's probably ten million for that amount. But hmm. I'm sure you can figure it out while I'm talking. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk about something slightly different while you look that up. How about okay. that? So the well, there's one. Okay, there's more than one good thing about the game, but the, there's one that I really want to talk about that was really interesting. What they did. So you mentioned this Vision GT car. Okay, they've. Yeah, this, this, this exploit car is the Mercedes-Benz GT Vision right. something. Check this out. I can't believe that they uh, this is actually happening. There's something really, really incredible. The developer approached a bunch of car manufacturers, like 20, let's say, somewhere in that neighborhood. And they said, okay, we've got an idea. Why don't you develop your own concept car explicitly for this game? And we will put your car in the game so it doubles as advertising for your car, your concept car. And you will develop a concept car for the express purpose of just being in a video game. And that's the Vision GT idea. And every... That in itself is kind of neat. I like that. It's incredibly neat because something like this has never happened before. This is... The first one was this Vision GT one. Now, at regular intervals or irregular intervals, we don't know which one, they're going to unveil more and more cars. So you have this screen in the game where there's basically placeholders for all of the manufacturers that are going to unveil a Vision GT car, which they've made just for this game. And it's kind of like what they did with the Red Bull car, but with basically all of the regular car makers. So for example, right? Mercedes going to do one, BMW is going to do one, Audi's going to do one. But then some of like the specialty car designers like um okay, well, I forgot the ones that are going to be in it. But anyway, there's going to be more coming, right? And we get these cars as present cars every so often and you get to look on the screen at like a teaser preview image of the ones that haven't been unveiled yet. This is fantastic. This is just Well, it's just incredible. neat because, I mean, in the past, they make a concept car. They release it at a car show, and then nobody ever sees it again except in pictures and stuff. Right. And, and this time, they know that they're making a concept car for a video game. So these are going to be the most Ridge Racer-like cars that we've ever seen. But they're going to be actually made by real car manufacturer, car designers, which is incredible. Yeah. That's so that's, that's great. That's fantastic. So what did we come up with? 
Um, the the stats I got, I guess, were some from I, at least I presume from an English site because it's in uh, euros and pounds, but it looks like it's about ten bucks. It'd be ten euros for a million credits. Oh, okay. So my so guess is it would be ten dollars in the U.S. store. Yeah. So for ten dollars, you can right now at least get essentially unlimited credits because you buy that. Oh, one for a car. million. That's right. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah, right. A million credits for ten bucks. So you buy that car, and then you sell it for essentially twenty million, and you do that over and over again. And so, so, you can so just this stack is up lots this is really interesting now because. Especially at the beginning of the game, it's really hard to get a million credits. I wonder if... So, do, do you see where I'm going with this, Alon? This could actually be leading to a spike in sales because why not just... How much was it? Ten bucks? Yep. Uh, okay. They, You know they're going to patch this as fast as they can. Maybe some people think it's worth paying ten bucks. Or maybe, okay, you have half a million and you want to do this exploit as fast as possible. So maybe throw in five bucks. Maybe people are going to buy more of these for the purpose of executing the exploit more expeditiously. Yeah, it might actually work for them. The funny thing is it'll throw off their projected sales because there'll be a spike of sales. Be like, oh, great. People are going to keep buying. And then they suddenly stop as soon as they patch the game. But C- Certainly. Um, it's it's What's funny to me is... Uh, thinking about the possibility that they would try to shut people down for taking advantage of this exploit when, like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, I would argue this is just the within the confines of the game. They they set it up. That's how it works. And so I wonder if down the road, if someone were to take advantage of this so that they would get lots and lots and lots of credits and cars, would Sony try to, like, disrupt their data or say that they couldn't use those cars online or something? Maybe they would only if they haven't uh, bought a microtransaction. We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You are listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. We have a website, you know, and more importantly, a Facebook page. We sure do. And I just learned something about how to use Facebook, so you can go there and see my post there. Yeah, it actually got a lot of engagement. It was good. People were liking the heck out of it. It's. Uh, I think I struck a nerve, uh, I mean, in a good way. With you think? This. So, yeah, so I'm feeling pretty good about well, it. Well, if you search your, your favorite search engine, you'll find our website. It's chatterboxgameshow.com, and that can link you to our Facebook page, which is uh, slash chatterboxvideogameradio. And on that... Ara posted, as Chatterbox, uh, a video. The, is this the full video of your talk about microtransactions? Or I thought it was like stuff? an hour long. It's like two hours long. Really long. It's really long. And it's on YouTube, right? It's totally on YouTube. Okay. So if we were smart, we would have a dedicated Chatterbox YouTube channel, but we don't. Well, I have a dedicated Aura channel on okay. YouTube. <laughs> That's good. And you can find it there, too. All right. So um, you can... Watch and listen to it there. And now if you get me the video, I can actually pull the audio and make just a podcast, a bonus podcast out of it. But if you think the visuals are so important, then we will direct people strictly to the video. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, let's keep it with the video because there's a, there's a lot of slides. Okay. So if you're interested in this, it is a pretty dense talk sometime. I've, it is also dense. Yeah, Not I've, only is it long, it's also dense. Yeah. So this is really for the hardcore of the hardcore and it's specifically about free-to-play games and basically how free-to-play messes with your psychology. Would it be how... inappropriate for me to also say it's hard as well? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So if you're into the idea of free-to-play or learning about it and the psychology behind it and how they screw with you, um, you, can, you can watch that video, which Lovely. is linked on our Facebook page. There's so much you could learn about Facebook, by the way. Yeah, I could, but maybe maybe I don't want to. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's actually something related about that we might talk about in a bit. But okay, so I just want to say a couple more things about GT6, and then we'll move on. Okay. So, man, one th- one thing that they did this time, it really seems like it's not even as much as many features as GT5 had when it first came out. And specifically I'm talking about if you go online, they they don't have they don't appear to have these shuffle races that is of course the only reason that I would ever want to go online. Instead of I was really hoping that they would have a really blown out highly developed online system now that they've had about 2 years to observe how people use online. And it, one th- one thing that's really upsetting and this sometimes has been described as a characteristically Japanese thing, although I'm not sure I want to go ahead and make that conclusion myself. I, I was going to make basically place that blame myself without yeah, even it, knowing how they do it. It not, just seems that online is not done very well. Not just the, not just not doing online well, but having a a kind of development attitude of, of doing th- implementing things in a certain way that's very rigid and specific and also completely disrespects the uh, practical common use of such function that you're developing. Does that make sense? No, I lost you. So basically, like, they've... I'll just explain what they did with online, and then you'll... I think that's the best way to, to make it clear. They, instead of them, for example, because they've had these two years to see how people use online... And what we've noticed is that, you know, in the in the confines of what you can do with online, people have actually developed a lot of different ways of playing. People do these stupid cat and mouse games, these stupid cops things, but then they also do less stupid things, like we do these shuffle races. And anyway, we have these idiosyncratic ways that we have just come up with on our own to play games in the way that makes sense to us as players. And we use the online mode on GT5 as a facility for that, right? But sometimes we take... We don't use it exactly in the way it's intended. For example, um, there's... What's what's a really good example? So one quick example is, for example, you can mark your room when you make a room as racing for fun or racing for real or something like that, right? They have a, a list of enumerated categories, and it's just there as a label. It doesn't mean anything, it's just there to communicate to other people like, hey, this is the kind of race in here. You know? Yeah, like we're serious. Well, that list that they came up with does not map well to the ways people use rooms. And the first time they've done it, it's understandable because before you make something go out live, you don't know how the community is going to use it. Yeah, you can only guess. Right. So that's that's just fine. But what they've done now, now it's GT6, and instead of taking that information that they've gathered and paying attention to how people use online, it seems what they've done is completely ignored it and gone deeper down this road of, we want to make this rigid system of racing for you to use in this way that specifically and rigidly that we want you to use it. And it is now even farther away from how people generally race online. And they've, they've embodied this in the whole interface. So for example, they dedicate so they have these choices of what kind of room it is that doesn't map at all well to how people use it. And they have, for example, they've dedicated a lot of UI space to uh, whether the race is in, for example, um, qualifying mode or actual race mode. And the fact of the matter is is that most people don't hardly ever do races with a qualifying phase and then a race phase. But they're trying to force that structure on you, and it's not going to work well. Now, your experience, though, is only with... Well, I don't want to assume it's only with American players, but isn't it? Well, um, let's see. Like, do you have any experience playing in rooms full of Japanese players? I'm trying to think whether we have access to the Japanese side servers or not. I suppose, I mean, I see I see people from other nations, so it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell if we're on the same server set or not. 
So let me ask you this more more directly. Like, do you think the experiences that you have represent most of the people who are playing? Well, whether whether I do or not, it's immaterial because I'm talking based on what I see people, how I see people using the rooms, and not based on how I play. So for I would never play a cat and cat and mouse game or a stupid cops game. Those things are retarded. But people play them, and. If it, I think since they're that common, for example, I would never play a dirty room, but most people delineate rooms by saying this is a clean room and, and, a, and a dirty room. Dirty means hitting each other. Dirt, dirty means, yeah, you hit as much as possible to get by instead of the opposite. Okay. Right? And they're just going farther and farther down that direction. And the it's funny because there's buttons on that menu screen, on that online screen that you never, ever use because – that's just how it's turned out, right? It's not proved to be useful. And they seem to just – it's just even worse now. And you can, it doesn't even seem like you can do shuffle races now, which a lot of people do. Um, shuffle just means deciding the track for you and the cars It and decides the car for you, right? Which is really great because you don't have to play the car tuning game. You can feel like you're on a relatively equal level. Anyway, it's just it's, – it's incredibly uh, – backwards data-driven design philosophy that they've adopted. And it seems actually really pervasive throughout the whole UI. Here's another real quick example. You know, you, you were in that, um, you remember the screen when you're right before you raced and there's like a menu at the bottom that goes horizontally. Yeah. Well, before, right, when they designed it in GT5, they, they decided, okay, well, this menu will always have like six items, but sometimes it'll have four items, but never more than six. So they designed the icons and the spacing to hold six items. Well, it seems like they've gone through this more generalized data-driven approach that completely ignores the common use case scenario. And so what they've done is they've made the icons bigger. And by making the icons bigger and by the way that they're spacing them, you can no longer hold six on the screen. Even though 99.9% of the time, right, there's going to be no more than six. Now you can't see them all, which means that now you see this menu that has four items instead of six, and you don't know where the exit is. And it's just – it's a tiny thing. Look, this one thing, it's a tiny, tiny thing. You always know where the exit is generally, so it usually doesn't matter except if you're new to the game. And it, for all practical purposes, it doesn't affect you one way or the other. But the thing is it's a tiny little thing that's made worse because whoever – designed the UI this time. I don't know if it's the same guy or another guy just decided to do it that way for some reason, which you know may be optimal for uh, one other thing, but it's not optimal. It's not as good as it was last time. And my whole point is that the game and especially the interface in ways is better and in ways is worse. And it's kind of frustrating to see this in a product that you're supposed to be improving strictly. It's not always getting better. It's like you get an update I mean, we all know this now, right? This is like, this happens to us all the time in software updates now. Some things get better and some things get worse. And I'm really getting tired of it. Yeah. And, you know, what you pointed out to me before I started playing is that you would be surprised if I even can tell the difference between five and six. Yeah. I certainly couldn't. So here's another thing. So lighting is improved. There's a lot of other things that look better visually. They cha- But they changed the anti-aliasing algorithm. So all the edges are softer now. And there's there's blurring in places that there didn't used to be. So I think in some ways it looks worse. I actually think the frame rate's lower in some ways. Wow. And because of their anti-aliasing technique, edges that looked better in the last game look worse in this game. But they make a trade-off. So some things that look worse in the last game look better in this game. And it's... That's not nearly as interesting to me as what you were saying about online, where they're basically not paying attention to the community that they're creating. No, they're completely not. And that, that I think, is one of the most egregious things that they've done. So far, there's not a lot of people playing GT6 online that I've noticed. So I think maybe that might be one reason. I think it will be really interesting to see if the community of people that I play with online, if they quickly move over to GT6 or if they stay on GT5. Because right now... The kind of games that I like and the people I play against, play those on GT5. Never mind, I mean, on 6. Never mind the fact that multi-screen isn't uh, ready yet. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I wonder if the people who would be playing it right now are only early adopters, and people who are early adopters have the new systems and don't want to play the old stuff anymore. I mean, I guess. You'd think that the hardcore players like me would all be the early adopters, but... We'll be right back. As usual, sponsored by the University of Advancing Technology. Their website is uat.edu. Please check them out if you're interested. Um, we are not going to talk about racing anymore. Oh, darn. At least not for the remainder of this episode. Okay, fine. <clears throat> but we do have some other stuff on on the list. Oh, yes. Yeah. Are you so, ready for Bill Moyers? Bill Moyers. You were... You've sort of teased me during the break, teased me about what, what he's talking about, but I don't know the details, so fill me in. I, I really, I got to preface this by saying I like Bill Moyers, I like PBS, re- and this is actually not directly about Bill Moyers, but Bill Moyers had an episode on where he was interviewing this um, quote-unquote cultural historian and scholar named Richard Slotkin. And I wanted to take this opportunity of this interview to tell a little story about bias and how somebody's perspective can enable them to misjudge something so completely. And this has to do with video games from... The fact that they're talking about the Sandy Hook shooting and Adam Lanza. Yeah, the thing that happened just about a year ago now. Right, which actually doesn't have to anything to do with video games. But in the media, it is purportedly has something to do with video games. Okay. So the best way I can do this is I, I got to read some quotes to set the stage here. The first quote I'm going to read is... From the website that um, posted, maybe we can post the link to, um, there was a transcript. And basically, they introduce Richard Slotkin this way. And this is his background. And this is important for you to know in order for you to understand everything else that follows from this. So they say Slotkin tracks – this is what his – basically uh, he's been doing. This is what his job is, what his background is. How everything from literature, movies, and television to society and politics has been influenced by this violent past, including the gun culture that continues to dominate, wound, and kill. Okay. So having said that, now I'm going to quote to you a response Richard Slotkin made to one of uh, Bill Moyer's questions during the interview. And um, this is, I'm, I'm cutting in halfway because it's too long otherwise. So Slotkin goes, people will model their behavior on examples that they consider to be heroic. That's plausible, right? Sounds mm-hmm. pretty plausible. I'll believe that. And that's how I'm continuing the quote. And that's how mythology works in a culture. There are cultural myths that define what for us is a positive response to a crisis. And it's embodied in media. And we learn it through the media and we model our behavior on that of heroes. And apparently Lanza, in the way he conducted the massacre, was making the kind of moves that are the standard moves of a person playing a violent video game. You would never enter a new room unless you've put a fresh clip in your gun. So he would shoot off half a clip and then change the clip anyway, because that's what you do when you're playing a video game. And that image of playing out a script that's been written for you, 
that has some value for you as a way of gaining control or being a hero is what he's living out. Now to Mr. Slotkin, the immediate question I would ask is, assuming that all that behavior is correct, if we presume that to be true, that that's what he did, wouldn't that also be exactly what you would do if you brought an excess of ammunition and you had the full intention or expectation that you were probably going to die? Um, it just seems like the efficient thing to do. It, that's exactly what I'm going for. It has absolutely nothing to do with video games and culture and the culture of video games unless you're a person who has decided to make their career out of publicly making connections between culture and events like this. In other words, he is so blinded by his own perspective that he is not able to describe any phenomenon he's seeing except the perspective, at least as far as this goes, except for the perspective with which he's entrenched himself. And this is incredibly dangerous because... This is what leads people to make conclusions like these and for people to stand around and say, okay, that sounds plausible. That's probably what he did and be completely wrong because you don't have to go there to explain behavior like that. And so why would you? And this is also the reason why they say that, oh, Adam Lanza was obsessed with violent video games. No, Adam Lanza was obsessed with DDR. Yeah, that's what I read. Yeah. Um, and and this this is just... It just pisses me off. It's but just it's didn't such they also find that he played that like that video game that's all about killing kids in a school? Well, what? Which one? <laughs> there, there was some game that was specifically trying to like recreate a school massacre. And I yeah, think I actually. That game too. Well, there was a specific one that was the new was the Sandy Hook massacre, and somebody made that game, and somebody made that game to make a statement. Then they actually talked about that game. Um, unspecifically, uh, not in terms of detail, but they did specifically talk about that very game in this interview. And they basically, they completely misunderstood the point of that, right? They made the classic error of saying, oh, well, okay, this is a topic. This is a game that's been made about the massacre. So obviously the only reason why this, uh, work of authorship was fashioned was in order to exploit and take advantage of the situation or to shock people, right? They could not even fathom because they didn't even bring up the possibility that maybe the author of that game wanted to say something about a horrific event. Maybe he wanted to communicate something meaningful and is using a horrific event to do it because isn't that what authors do? Isn't yeah. that what art is? Well, you could argue that their very discussion of that game on some news program is in itself doing the same thing. Well, f well, fair enough. But they're completely misattributing its reason for existence, and they're not even bothering to delve a little further to wonder if, well, maybe we got it wrong. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe that's not the reason. What I was saying before is that I'd read that like there was some other game based perhaps off Columbine or something. That... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think there was one like that, just like that too. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, I did read that he was totally into DDR, uh, which is not a game full of killing. Um, and and yeah, the emptying out a clip and putting in a new one is just like you said. If you have an excess of ammunition, so if if you Here, here's he put himself in a thing. video game like situation, right? Here's the interesting thing: is that all the game, even if like let's assume that there was an even stronger connection than there was. Okay, even if that was the case. All the video game did was teach somebody optimal behavior in that sort of situation. And that is the only crime that the game has committed is, okay, well, if you're in a situation where you're doing this mechanically, this activity, then especially if you have an excess of resource when you're going into an unfamiliar area, isn't it best to make sure that you have the most amount of that resource readily available when you're going in? Yeah. In other words, it trained him to be good at something. Right. So the only crime of the game was that it trained him to be good, if that. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. But I don't even like. I don't even want to put that much importance on it because that's what somebody would think just by optimizing. Just like you said, 
just like you said. And I hate, I hate how there's all these discussions going in these different directions because they're all so wrong. And it's so obvious that they're so wrong. And I just, I'm just, it just pains me. So I don't want Bill, Bill Moyers. I don't want Bill Moyers to be this wrong. <laughs> he's a friend. My heart is crushed that he's this wrong because, yeah. well, this isn't he, this isn't the this isn't the territory. Was of he going PBS. along with with Slotkin the whole he time? He was completely. Oh, he was. Well, that's sad. It is sad. This is the perv- This is the this is the domain of shock jocks and eyewitness channel five news that you know they're just going to get the story wrong anyway i think we i think you can actually get the whole episode online it looks like you can anyway oh yeah my my brief searching so maybe we should post that oh yeah we should totally do that too we should take notes about the various things we want to post on that you know what that would be something intelligent people would do also (laughs) okay so maybe we'll post that video on the facebook page um, and I'm, I'm curious what, what other people think about that after they see it. So let's change gears completely away from Moyers and Slotkin. Totally. Right. There, there is something you. else on your list here. Yeah. So let's um, – somebody posted an article on Gamma Sutra about – it's hard for me to encapsulate this, but let me – there's a lot of angles to this too. Let, let me approach this a different way. So as a designer, I've been approached a lot of times when talking to people about games. Sometimes they're game developers, sometimes they're game designers, sometimes they're not, right? Uh, but in all these cases, they know I'm a designer, right? And so one of the things that they say a lot is there's such and such game and you must play it. And it's even more important for you to play it because you're a designer. It's really important for you to know how this game works. And you mean because they might just go to anybody and say this game's so good you need to play it, right? Well, but they say it to you even more, right? And there's there's this kind of especially in just like in just circles that designers talk within, there's this underlying thing where there's like somehow this body of games where if like you must play these games as a designer, and I I've thought about this for a while and I've reached a really really unusual conclusion which is that all of those kinds of admonitions, I think, are total BS. Why? You don't don't think there are games that are good for you to see? There are games that are good for me to see, but here's the problem. The problem is when I'm seeing game X that's good for me to see, I'm automatically choosing not to see all other games in that space of time, and I'm also choosing not to do any other activity in that space of time. Well, yeah, so. I'll tell you why so is important when we come back. Okay. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu. And we're back. The slowly recovering 
Ara is speaking. Oh my god, I'm talking in third person. What is happening? Yeah, you've actually been talking quite a bit this episode, considering your sickness. I know. In the beginning, I was like, I'm not going to talk at all. You do all the talking. I just get excited. What, what can I say? Yeah, well, I'm going to talk for another minute as I remind everyone about UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, which I, I tend to do a couple times a show. Um, I guess while, while I'm on the subject of sponsorship, which makes me think of shopping, have you have you bothered to to buy any gifts or or anything? Because Christmas is coming up in a week. You know that's it's a loaded question. I think you're trying to frame me here. Not at all. I was just thinking of this morning because <laughs> the answer is no. The, this morning, I uh, I went to go buy something that I've been meaning to buy for a while, but I was like, no, I'll sign up for their newsletter. They'll send me a discount, and they never did. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go buy it today. And they're like, oh, we're back ordered. We're not going to have them by Christmas. And the description's like they're not going to be shipped. Before the, or they're not going to sh- be shipped until after the 20th, but then the thing I was buying, like, they had changed the description of the product to actually say, you know, here it is, a five-pack, ships on December 20th. I was like, but wait a minute. You say over here it's not going to ship until after the 20th, but here you say it ships on the t- – I'm very confused. So Computers. Anyway, that just made me think of, of that experience. Some, somehow I was started thinking about that experience anyway. It is not a video game. <laughs> thing that I well i think we're all thinking about that experience in the next couple of weeks yeah um i i do also think about the fact though that i still have yet to buy a game other than killer instinct for these new new consoles but there is a demo apparently of dead rising 3 that just uh just became available on the that's Xbox right. one according to something i was reading anyway so i might get to actually play that johnny told me that's a good game by the way is it um you still think it's good that you can only play uh, the 20-minute 20, 20 demo two times total? No, but in reality, that's probably the most I would ever play the demo. Yeah. Right? It bothers me that it would limit it, but... Not too much. Meh. Yeah. But see, I predicted, I predicted years ago that people who can't afford to buy full-price games will be playing demos, and they will be really upset with this news. They will. And the reason I'm upset is because... I'm willing to bet it would cost me more than 40 minutes of time just to download the game. Well, that's true. Wait a minute. This is on the new console. Yeah. How many demos can you download on the new console right now? Very few. Very. I wonder if this is going to be a trend. Uh, yeah, probably. It's, it's my guess because demos are not required anymore. Well, I mean, demos for full games were never required anyway, but now they're all treated like full games. So. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, getting back to what we left with on the break. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. There's, there's so many games, first of all. There's such volume of games that you can never hope to play them all, for one. For two, there's here, here's where this problem came from for me, was that the games that people told me I must play as a designer, I really never had all that much interest in. Well, give me an example. Oh gosh, I can't. I mean, just people are like, "Hey, you really have to play Portal. It's amazing." Okay, Portal, fine. Braid. Okay, Braid. But now those games aren't entirely games that I'm um, disgusted with. Super Meat Boy. You got to play Super Meat Boy, or, or one of those. Check it's, it out. It's or they'll say you got to play Call of Duty, and I just I don't like Call of Duty. I have no interest in Call of Duty. Okay, that's a better example because that's a huge mass market game. The underlying assumption is that you know this is like it's really important for you as a designer to know what the most the best selling or the most popular games are doing and I mean, I even, what could that game possibly do that a million iterations of it prior hadn't done well i mean there's a presumption that something there's something that it does okay that the million iterations previously have not um but i think what you're leading toward is that oftentimes it's not really that much the case. We don't have these uh, huge cataclysmic um, improvements over time, especially with games that are set very, very uh, steadfastly in a single genre, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would think for for your sake, the designer who's looking for interesting elements, you're never – you're actually – less likely to find that in some big AAA title, which is restricted to, you know, classic, well, well-known, 
systems, right? Well, well not, not only that, not only well-known systems, but systems that don't take a lot. You know, they, they just don't put that much demand on the on the player, right? But here's here's the other part of where I'm coming from. That always was a problem for me in my mind when I thought about the games that I do choose to play, not only for fun but also to to study, because I find great value in studying games that are not very popular at all. Because you find that the quality of the game and what you can learn from it is often not a good function of how popular it is because of a lot of reasons we won't get into right now, right? And it's funny because... So there's... This famous game designer, Yu Suzuki, was known to say something to the effect of, you know, he doesn't play games, or at least anymore, because he doesn't want them to affect or influence him, right? And some people have said that that type of attitude is really stupid. Um, I mean, look, other people much stupider than Yu Suzuki, who is not stupid at all, have said that. And it's on, – on, on the face of it, it seems like a really naive thing to say. But on the other hand, I find it really interesting that if you consider just how much copycatting happens in the industry – there's actually some value in not wanting to be well-versed in precisely how everybody does things because I think that it does affect, by degrees anyway, how you design something. And while it's good to be knowledgeable, I mean, it doesn't hurt to be knowledgeable. Here's the other thing. If we presume that I'm going to spend a set amount of time studying games, um, why should I spend – why should I spend – that time doing anything less but studying the games that I find to be the most personally interesting. How how, how would that not be better for me than to study games that I find utterly boring? Well, I just, think just the, so the idea I, is someone suggesting to you a game that you wouldn't have tried and therefore are exposed to something that perhaps is new to you. Right. But, well, okay, and then there's that whole thing about, well, okay, I'm going to try something new. Okay, well, how long do you try it for before you decide that it's no longer something new, Right. You tried for a minute, 10 minutes. How long is enough? You just never know. That's the thing. And then also another thing is that some, there are some games where incredible things happen, but only after 50 hours of play. Yeah. Well, I would like to think that they would tell you this really cool thing happens or there's, there's some cool elements. Well, well, maybe so, right? But what, what I'm saying is that it's not at all, cl- it's not at all clear – what the best way is to spend someone's time studying a certain media. And I feel like there's no better person but yourself to judge what's the best use of that time. And people who who tell you, oh, well, you know, if you don't play this popular game and that popular game, that you're going to be out of touch from knowing how to design games that are really successful and stuff like that. I don't even think that necessarily follows because of all the other things that I mentioned. So... Okay. Do you, do you feel like in your development of games in the past that that you ever have been forced down a a more traditional path just because other other developers had included that in their mm. game? I feel like we've been forced to do th- to do things that are conventional things in other games because they're either a regarded to be conventional things or B, there, there's just, I don't know, there's just some, like, idiosyncratic reason, right? What, like, some big it's, suit at the top was like, you need to make this like that game? Right, or just or something like that, or, like, this needs to be, yeah, stuff like that. There's, I mean, it's it's a fine line, because a lot of this also has to do with, you know, this was, like, a talk I gave a few years ago about, you know, cultural information is really important. You don't want to, it's like, as an example... You using WASD to control a character on a screen is a cultural piece of information. So that's something that you should be aware of if you're designing a game that has movement in 3D space in first person because most people who play those types of games are accustomed to a WASD interface, right? So that's something that you should know about. But there is also a territory where... If there's too many things that are familiar of a certain kind, then the experience you're crafting isn't 
is it really bringing a lot new to the table or as much as it could have? And I feel like as a, as a designer, especially considering how much copycat stuff there is out there, I feel like it's a lot more valuable to do something new. Although on the other hand, there's still also a lot of value in doing something old, but doing it better than anyone else has done. Right. But that's another aspect or dimension of novelty. So you're saying you don't actually know if the right thing is to, to study or not to study? Well, nobody knows. But what I'm saying is that all those people who are so vociferous about, well, this is the game you need to play or that's the game you need to play, whoever you are, well, that I guess what I'm saying is speak for yourself, right? Because I don't think anyone has the – well, certainly not the authority, but I don't even want to go that strong, right? It's not that meaningful to tell someone that they have to play this or that game. There's no have-tos. That's what I'm saying. Well, of course. But when they say you have to, they're not actually saying you have well, to. Well, I don't I, – I mean, I mean even – I'm not even going literal. Like even in the non-literal sense, there's no have-tos. It's not all that important. Just because something is – let me put it to you this way too, right? The, the types of games that are in the game industry are so varied – that one one game that's an excellent ca- uh, excellent example of a certain category of game does not even apply at all in another category of game. So there's that too. Okay, so let me ask. Is there a game you've played recently that you think is good reference material? Recently? Hmm, I don't think so recently. That's going to take me more time to think of than we have left in the show. Okay. I mean, you've been playing a lot of, what, uh, Puzzle and Dragons or whatever? Yeah, that's actually, that's a good reference for certain things, yeah. Okay, good. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Don't forget, go to our Facebook page, slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. We will be back, as always, next week. Christmas week. Good night, everybody. been listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us